Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, and I'm excited to be sharing with you the next sermon in our four-week series, Activated to Love. Uh, We're on this journey through the Gospel according to Matthew towards the end as we see Jesus teaching in parables. Uh, Today we turn to Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, to the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And we ask what it would look like for us to live into a call and live into a world uh, not of scarcity but of abundance. And we see how we might draw that message from this text. Check out the sermon here. Good morning, church. My name is Bill Payne, and we will continue with our sermon series, Activated to Love, and focus on being empowered by Jesus as we read from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, there's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all these young women got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some more for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other young women came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. Holy words for God's people. All right, well, good morning again. Uh, My name is Joe, I get to serve as lead pastor here. Uh, Just so glad to be worshiping with you. Uh, Those of you who are here on site, those of you who are worshiping with us online, uh, just a joy to be in community. Uh, I want to tell you about my weekend because it's been really full and really packed and uh, there's been a lot going on. Um, uh, Yesterday, we celebrated uh, the completion of life for one of our longtime members, uh, Dick Raymond, and we had an opportunity to uh, celebrate uh, him and for the legacy he leaves. Uh, This morning at a 9 o'clock service, we got to celebrate a baptism uh, of a a little uh, child, Everett. Uh, We're going to honor that in a few moments here in our space as well. But it, it reminded me of both the beginning and end of life and how as we journey together, we journey through it all through the highs and through the lows and through all the ways in which we experience. And, and this morning uh, at 8 o'clock before our early service, uh, I was on Zoom preaching uh, to uh, my home church in New York, uh, the church that uh, helped guide my call. And um, they're, they're called Han Church, H-A-N Church, uh, the United Methodist Church. And I just want to read to you their uh, vision and their mission statements because I, I found it really poignant and important. Um, their vision is the transformation of the world into the peaceful and just creation God intended for all. It's pretty good. Their mission is to live out the healing and liberating message of Christ, to queer the status quo, 
and to confront all forms of injustice and oppression. I got a chance to uh, meet Pastor Daniel. He, he just uh, left, and they're in the midst of a pastoral transition. But I got to talk to him, and I said, that's bold. And he said, thank you. <laughs> but we started talking about what it means to put in the forefront of our minds and on everything we do to claim and to proclaim our values, to say without a shadow of a doubt, this is who we are, and you're part of that, right? And I hope that for our little time that we get to spend this morning that you feel that, that you know that during this time while you are here uh, on site or online that you are welcome for exactly who you are, that you are welcome and you belong. And we recognize that there are places in our world, in our society, in our community where that's not true for everyone, where people are pushed out or kept out or marginalized. And so we want to name, especially for you, if that has been your experience in church, you are welcome and you belong. It means if you're a gay or lesbian or transgender or bisexual or questioning, know that you are welcome, that you belong. If you're black or brown or indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you're single or divorced, partnered or separated, if you find yourself homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Uh, with all of your unique gifts and abilities, uh, created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray as we enter into this time together. God, be present here and in all the places from which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Uh, some of you know that uh, this past week I, I had the opportunity to spend a couple days in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. I was there connecting with uh, other United Methodists, uh, clergy in particular. Uh, currently, in our United Methodist Church system, uh, our churches and pastors in Alaska are part of what's called the Alaska Missionary Conference. But the plan is that in 2024, uh, they'll become part of our conference, the Pacific Northwest Annual Conference, as what we call a missionary district. And so in an effort for us to begin living into that relationship together, a group of us uh, from here, Washington, went to Alaska to uh, be in relationship with our colleagues, to share our dreams and our hopes for the church. I gotta admit that I, I have forgotten what it feels like to fly solo without my family. And I also forgot what it was like to fly as a pastor. Uh, flying solo was different for what I think are pretty obvious reasons, right? Uh, less baggage, more alone time. Uh, rather than laughing and conversation with my spouse and kids, I had podcasts and audiobooks to keep me company. Uh, but there's always something unique about flying as a pastor or, or any professional who works with people, I think. Because uh, more often than not, I, I, I had this experience either you know, at a gate or on the plane. Um, I grab my coffee, I get ready to sit down, I make eye contact with the people around me, uh, do a little nod, give a little, how are you, how you doing, smile with my eyes. And then I brace myself for that dreaded question, uh, what do you do? <laughs> This happened on my way to Anchorage. Uh, I was the first to sit in my row. It was an exit row. Thank you. Um, it, was a, <laughs> it was an aisle seat. And the others arrived after me. There's an older gentleman who uh, came and sat in the window. And then a younger uh, professional, uh, he was a few years older than me. He sat in the aisle. I know he's a few years older than me because he told me his whole life story. Um, 
And I get up to let him into the row, and uh, we sit back down, he says, thanks. I say, yeah, you're welcome, and then he takes a breath, and he goes, so what are you doing in Anchorage? What's, what do you do? You know, I could sense that he kind of wanted to connect, and so I put away the two books that I had out uh, to read on the plane. Um, they were uh, The Pastor as Minor Poet by M. Craig Barnes and The Historical Jesus by John Dominic Crossan. And I replied back to him, I said, would you believe me if I said I was a plumber? We laughed, and, and he talked, and he talked some more. Um, he talked about his family and the struggles that they were experiencing uh, raising two adolescents during the pandemic. He talked about his spouse and the challenge it had been for her to find meaningful work. He talked about his faith, uh, because while he isn't religious, he still loves God. We talked about losing hope in the world and wanting to know where God was and is in the midst of it all. And he said this, he said, um, these past few years, I have not felt alive, and I'm afraid that I forgot how to. Uh, we, we continued talking, we shared from that uh, three-plus-hour flight, and I, I gave him the information of a couple churches that I know in Alaska, uh, hoping he finds connection, ho hoping he finds meaning, and, and I also gave him uh, information about our church uh, for worship and, and such, and so, friend, if you're worshiping with us online, we welcome you, we're glad you're here. Uh, he knows I was going to tell the story, so it's all good. Um, some of you all were like, oh, you said what in front of him? No, it's, it's good. Um, <laughs> But it, but it struck me, this, this sentiment that he shared, right? That I have not felt alive, and I'm not sure I remember how to. I'm for, afraid that I forgot. Um, if you Google the words activated to love, it's the name of our series, you, you get 2.74 billion results in 0.65 seconds. You get books and articles and, and images and, and, and movies and, and videos all on how to become uh, activated. And, and there's one article, it's, it's a Forbes article, it's written by Dr. Richard Osibanjo. He, he asks the readers to reflect by re-examining their definition of success, and he invites all of us to ask ourselves these five or six questions. He says, who am I? Why am I here? Am I living the life I truly want? Am I putting the first things first? Do I have deep relationships? And what's my legacy? And I wonder if we might ask those same questions as people of faith, perhaps as people who have forgotten what it means to be church, as people who have forgotten that our faith must be lived out, as people who have forgotten how to be alive. Uh, we're in Matthew this morning. We're, we're in the middle of what's called the eschatological discourse. It, it simply refers to these two chapters in Matthew where Jesus teaches about the things that concern the last things, right? Things about death and, and salvation and, and the end of the world. And, and like much of his teaching in this eschatological discourse, Jesus teaches through what we call parables. They're, they're short, simple stories. And I want to remind us that parables were designed not to give us the right or wrong answers, but they were literary tools, uh, in this case used by Jesus, to challenge an understanding of one's faith, of, of one's identity, of one's view of the world. Uh, Dr. Amy Jill Levine, she says that these parables of Jesus were designed to afflict the comfortable. And she says, therefore, if we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, if we fail to take any challenge, we're not listening well enough. Hold that thought. Hold that thought, because, because we find Jesus, he, he's teaching now, uh, using par parables, and in this case, he's, he's addressing the disciples in private. 
which I think is really important in how we examine our text this morning. He's not teaching to the crowds, he's not teaching to the masses, but he's teaching in an intimate setting with a group of people who know him and who he knows well. And because of the closeness of the relationship, I I think our text is intended to be a little more challenging than what appears to be on the surface. The the parable is pretty straightforward, right? There are 10 women, bridesmaids and other translations. They, They go out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them pack extra oil. Five of them do not. And when the bridegroom was delayed, all of them fall asleep. When he finally arrives, only the women who packed extra oil were ready and went into the banquet. Pretty simple, right? And we could say that the moral of the story is be extra prepared and you too can get into the banquet. But I think that's too easy. And in fact, I think that's pretty problematic. Because when we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be extra prepared... Does it mean to have a holier-than-thou attitude towards your neighbor and your community? Does it mean buying into the scarcity model that is ingrained in us through capitalism and therefore refuse to help our neighbors and community? Does it mean to be so selfish with our own invitation to the banquet, to the party, that our neighbors and community are left out? Remember, this this gospel was written in the mid-80s. It's to a community of early Christian Jews from a generation after Jesus. And so those people who directly journeyed with Jesus, they preached this new way, a, a new, different way. They spoke about God's preferred future as imminent, as on its way for them, to them. And here these people are still waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. And as they wait, they they lose confidence in this future that they dreamed of. They they lose their passion and they lose their witness. And and most of all, they, they start to lose hope. You might say that they were falling asleep, and and I don't think that that's bad. The text, I don't think, tells us that's bad because all 10 women do fall asleep. The issue is what happens when they are awake. See, the more I think about this text, the the more I think about its meaning for us as a lesson about the loss of community. For Matthew, the the kingdom of heaven, it didn't refer to some ungraspable, unreachable reality beyond our future. For Matthew, the kingdom of heaven began now on earth and is a challenge of how to do this life, how to live into this reality now. How do we experience the presence of a holy God in and through community now? And so I imagine these bridesmaids, these women, and I imagine that they knew each other that they were part of the same small town, that they were related to each other somehow. They were related to the bride somehow. They were a friend, a sister, cousin, neighbor, and, and therefore they were related to one another. And I imagine that for some reason the bride asks all ten of them to go out and to wait for the bridegroom. So I don't think this was some practical task of, hey, it's getting dark, go out and light all your lamps to make sure the bridegroom can see where he's going. It was about the ten of them being together out there to wait for his arrival. And as it gets late, they get drowsy and they fall asleep. 
and then they wake. Hey, we, di we, we didn't get enough oil. Can we get some? You know, I, I had to make sure that my family had enough food before I left, so I wasn't able to stop by and get any extra oil on the way. Can, can I get some? I was working two jobs. I am working two jobs. I'm so tired that, that I fell asleep, and I barely woke up in time to be here on time, so I, I couldn't bring enough oil. Can I get some? Honestly, I, I forgot. Can I get some? What's sad to me is that every time the answer is no. The women who did not bring more ask to see if they can get some of the others, and the answer is no. There will not be enough for you and for us, so go out and buy some for yourself. Church, how often do we experience that attitude? How often do we communicate that attitude to our society, to our friends. There will not be enough for you and for us, so, so go and get some yourself. I'm thinking about how our society thinks about debt relief, how there is only a finite amount of financial resources or a scarcity of financial resources that, that I have to hoard and hold onto what's mine, and you could include affordable housing, access to vaccines, food insecurity. I'm thinking about how our society thinks about access to education and the affordable uh, affirmative action case that will go before the Supreme Court this session, how, how we think that there is a finite amount of education or, or a scarcity of educational resources and that I have to get for me what's mine. Thinking about how we think about salvation how there is only a finite amount of salvation for me and for the people who look like me and think like me and believe like me, that I cannot offer the grace, the, the salvation, the love to others. Church, have we forgotten what it means to be alive, to trust in a God of abundance, to be activated, to love our neighbors, to love our community, to share, to, to acknowledge that what's mine is yours, that, that we're in this together? Have we forgotten what it means to be alive? My, my, my prayer for us is that we might wake up from that drowsy sleep, and as we do so, that we would be able to reach out and experience the grace of God, the love of God, not just for ourselves, but, but for the whole, for, for the other, that, that there is enough of God's grace for you and for me and for us and for our neighbors and for our community, for even the world. Can we live into that purpose? Can we claim a God of abundance? And can we challenge everything we know about finiteness, about scarcity, about what's mine and not yours? Can we have the imagination 
to dream of that kingdom of heaven that might be now forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy One, we come before you trusting that you inspire us through the words of Scripture, the words of um, our our friends and our neighbors, uh, that you inspire us to see beyond ourselves. And so we pray that you would be the people you call us to be, that we would shatter all that we know, and that we would have the imagination and the boldness to look to our community and the connections within that all might come to experience your grace and your love, your peace, and your joy. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was the second sermon of this series, Activated to Love. Uh, We hope it's as encouraging to you as it is for us as we explore how God is calling us to live into the world. Um, Next week, we'll continue the series as we go deeper into the Gospel according to Matthew. Uh, Come back then to check out the sermon. And in the meantime, have a wonderful, wonderful week.